Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Hey listeners, we have another great show in store for you. Today's guest is a certified child and family sleep consultant, a certified lactation counselor, a sleep hygiene and behavioral sleep practitioner, a collaborator provider for the Breath Institute. She is a child sleep expert for the Doctors TV show. And in 2014, she brought the phrase rest to the West through a family sleep event tour across six states and 16 cities, raising awareness about sleep hygiene. She has also contributed to many well-known sleep brands, product development team, and publications including Randy Zuckerberg's book, Pick Three. She recently launched a groundbreaking toddler and big kids sleep training course for parents who have faced challenges with traditional sleep training methods. To top it off, guys, she is a mother of four. Elevated Voices Podcast would like to give a warm welcome, standing ovation to my girl, Jenny June. Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you, Daishika. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Love the standing applause thing. I don't think I've ever had one of those before, (laughs) but I'll take it. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you deserve it. Uh, A STEAM professional like yourself and all of your years of experience, you're killing it. It, The pleasure and the honor is all mine. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I mean, it was just a thrill to get a call from you, given your background and how, uh, you know, how connected our, our, you know, our work is and, and really bringing kind of your, your wisdom and knowledge together with what I've learned over the years and how it can actually help people, you know, to connect the two dots together is, is exciting. Yeah, definitely. Sleep and mental health, most people do not understand it or do not realize that they literally go hand in hand because it's very important, especially on our mental health. Yeah, it, 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 it's very connected. Um, and we're learning that more as the science of sleep evolves and develops and mental health uh, science as well. Uh, the four pillars of sleep hygiene really apply to all human beings. Um, just that science of understanding how circadian rhythms work and, and what uh, sleep enables us to do. It's a very strong biological drive for survival, even stronger than the need to eat, actually. We can live without food for three weeks before we succumb to death, but we will die in three to six days without water or sleep. Um, it's, you know, that critical to our ability to function and thrive and, and um, you know, maintain a healthy well-being emotionally, but also physically as well. Exactly. And I'm just going to, I'm going to throw out some statistics. I was reading an article that was published by Harvard Health. It said between 50 to 80% of patients in the typical psychiatric practice suffers from chronic sleep problems compared to 10 to 18% of adults in the general population. And I was thinking, I was like, that number 
is a big number. Yeah, yeah. And I think my, I have a suspicion that it's probably a little higher than that because, um, you know, what I've learned also, uh, you know, just in, in similar research is research and also, you know, just attending a, a really uh, powerful uh, conference I attended from the National Sleep Foundation in Washington, D.C. in 2015, where uh, the National Highway Safety Transportation Association was present. And, you know, there was a, there's some, some pretty notable people there really, really looking at this research. One of the things that stood out to me uh, is you know, that I've seen that is pretty true across the board in in what I've seen in my practice is that sleep deprived people don't know they're sleep deprived. So the statistics that we're getting um, is, you know, at that rate, even 50% or more is alarming. You know, people are very aware that they're sleep deprived, but sleep deprivation so cognitively impairs our thinking and ability to really be honest with ourselves or understand what's really happening to us. In fact, they equated this to what it's like being under the influence of two cocktails that impairs us to the point when we have two alcoholic beverages, uh, for some of us a little less than than that, some of us a little more, but when when we're under the influence of two, two cocktails, we're sometimes so impaired cognitively that we don't realize that we can't get behind the wheel of a car and drive. Somebody's got to take our keys or we've got to have some sort of cutoff limit or understanding or habit where we just don't get in a car and drive. Many people don't think there's that they're, you know, under the influence of alcohol enough where it could impair their ability to drive, but it does. And that's kind of what sleep deprivation does or what it was compared to, um, you know, in this conference and the research and all the studies that were brought forth were that, uh, you know, it impairs us to the point we don't even know how bad it is. And we become conditioned to that. So um, I would imagine, you know, real numbers might be quite a bit higher, but it is still pretty shocking that 50%, you know, really do realize it. Exactly. The individuals who come in to my practice doing my diagnostic assessment on them, of course, one of the things I ask is let's talk about sleep. And I kid you not, half of, actually, no, more than half say, oh, you know, I can't sleep. My thoughts are racing. I can't go to bed. You know, I'm back up in the next hour or two. You know, it's not good quality sleep. The vets that I see, and even non-veterans say, well, you know what? I drink alcohol to sleep. The first thing that comes to my mind is, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't don't drink alcohol. But of course, them not knowing that alcohol impedes the sleep stages. So for them, all they want to do is just have a good night's sleep, but not realizing that it's really not a good night's sleep because you're not fully going through all of the stages of the sleep cycle. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, depending on kind of, you know, old school, they used to say three stages and now sometimes they say four. And now we're seeing like this something about this fifth stage, but essentially it's that Delta sleep, that slow wave sleep where it's very fragile. And if we're not, uh, if our sleep hygiene is poor, we can't get it. Uh, And when we become deprived of it, it really starts to impair our mental health and our physical health, our immune system as well. Um, But this particular slow wave sleep, this Delta sleep acts like a lymphatic system to the brain. It's what clears waste and toxins and stress that build up on this vital organ every 24 hours. And the brain's it's not connected to the rest of the body's lymphatic system. So it is really dependent upon that slow wave sleep. Uh, When we have poor sleep associations, 
um, such as, you know, we are conditioned to believe or in a habit that we're kind of stuck in thinking that we need to fall asleep to the TV being on, you know, exposed to that blue light or needing an alcoholic beverage or two in order to relax in order to fall asleep or any other sort of, you know, self-medicating that we do to kind of decompress from the day. And I would imagine in your line of work, working with veterans, uh, the trauma, the things that they've been experienced or exposed to during their service, uh, you know, sticks with them. And there's a lot of times that PTSD and, you know, things that trigger emotions and feelings and, um, and that can disrupt sleep. The nervous system is really, you know, impacted by that. And, um, I mean, I, I'm definitely, you, you know, more about that than I do in your line of work, but, uh, I know that even little kids develop poor associations with sleep and think that they need certain conditions, you know, in order to relax and fall asleep and whatever conditions we fall asleep to, or think we need to relax in order to fall asleep to actually is a very thing that prevents us from getting back to sleep when we are segueing from one sleep cycle to to the next and we have a full arousal. Um, It makes it difficult to connect back to sleep, especially if we're dependent upon or conditioned to believe that we need some sort of substance to do that for us. That causes fragmentation of sleep and fragmentation of sleep very quickly within 48 hours accumulates a sleep debt to the point where we're no longer getting that slow wave sleep. And our sleep is really uh, sometimes referred to as junk sleep. We wake up sleep deprived right out of the gate in the morning, even if we happen to get all the hours in, uh, you know, if, if, if the sleep is happening outside of natural biological rhythms, poor timing, um, we can't get that slow wave sleep, uh, if sleep is fragmented, but those things, you know, do a number on us pretty quickly. You know, you are absolutely right. And I just wanted to take a step back because the Delta waves, the deep sleep, it is so important. It's almost like a reset button for the physical maintenance, but then also for the mental maintenance of your mind. And so when we lack that, how can we function during the day? Like you said, there will be some fog there. There will be some confusion there, not being able to concentrate. For all of our listeners listening, you know, it is very critical that not only do you get sleep, that you literally go through that whole sleep cycle to make sure that you're getting that deep sleep that you need. Yes, it's it's very important. And even um, outside of just that slow wave sleep, the REM sleep itself, if we're not dealing with our, our stressors throughout the day, or we're in denial about something, or we're just not dealing with our emotions, we're self-medicating in some way, keeping ourselves distracted, our REM sleep, will do it for us when we go to bed. And that's often where people um, have, you know, nightmares and and bad dreams. It'll wake them up and then they, or something will wake them up and they, that's where they say their mind just soars and starts spinning and, and they can't shut it off and get back to sleep. So really, you know, even um, the light active stages of our sleep cycles or REM sleep, um, those components are important too, but certainly, to keep us alive and really like functioning uh, to be able to get through our day uh, in that slow wave, that Delta sleep. Yeah. And similar to you being a mother of four, I know that there are other women out there who are new parents. They are having a very difficult time trying to adjust to having new baby in the home, not functioning on very much sleep. They are sleep deprived. So you having four children, how did you do that? 
I don't know. I, you know, it's a miracle. I live to tell about it. Maybe it's because I had them young, you know, between 22 and 28. And I just, you know, had a little more, you know, I had some energy in me, but I, you know, it was, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. It got to a point where, you know, I had my two-year-old, my, my oldest in bed, you know, with the all night open bar going on with the breastfeeding, you know, co-sleeping the whole thing, just to manage the crap show in the middle of the night, just to manage it. It was a band-aid solution, but it was all I could think to do. I was so cognitively impaired. And then baby number two came along, you know, two, two years after that, you know, every two years or 18 months, I was, you know, I was pregnant, knocked up, you know, had another kid in the bed, you know, just got so (laughs) unsustainable. um, And I was losing my mind and I didn't have any help. My husband was, you know, as in used to be was, was pretty worthless and and never helped out with that. And it got down to where I was going to run away from home. I had to do something. And that's where I dug into what little science was available back then. And we're talking the mid nineties, um, you know, early to mid nineties, 1990s. And, and I had to experiment with some things because there just wasn't a lot of information out there about it. But, uh, I realized there's something about those sleep waves, those hormones and capturing the right timing and all of that. But that figuring that out was the game changer for me. It absolutely changed the trajectory of what kind of mother I would have been. It wasn't looking good in those moments. (laughs) I was tired. And I could, I was just literally slapping band-aids on things in the moment on chaos all around me constantly just to survive the moment. I couldn't actually be fully attuned to my children, which is an important part of secure attachment and infant mental health is to have that full attunement component. That's nearly impossible for a mom who is chronically sleep deprived. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when we're sleep deprived, we often are so cognitively impaired. We don't know that we are, and we certainly can't see the sleep deprivation and recognize it in our own children. And we just get stuck. And that's where we need somebody to pull us up and, you know, grab onto us, you know, jump in our village with us and help us out. Thankfully, I had some great mom mentors back then uh, that supported me and noticed I was going underwater and, you know, gave me some great advice about sleep training, uh, old school stuff, you know, but it got me through. And, um, and once I, I got on top of that, the results were so amazing. I could not get enough of the information and how powerful it was. And I started helping other families uh, do it with their kids. And then, you know, all of a sudden the opportunity to credential myself in 2011 came along and I, I was all over that, like a hungry trout. I was, I'm like, let's do this. And, and it's been so rewarding ever since because I can do for other moms and dads, you know, what helped and save me. Right. Your groundbreaking work on your toddlers and big kids sleep training course is phenomenal. And no, I really didn't understand because like you said, the sleep hygiene, the whole arena has changed dramatically. Sleep hygiene specialist was unheard of, but now it's a lot of time, money, and research that is being invested into sleep because that's how important it is. I remember cramming for a test in college and staying up all night long. And I'm like, I just need to get this. I just need to get this. Not realizing that no matter how hard I studied, sleep deprivation that I was experiencing, again, going back to what you said, didn't realize it. I didn't retain anything. And I end up sleeping through the whole exam anyway when I got there because I was so tired. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I I was killing myself for no reason trying to study and cram. And here it is. That was like some of the best sleep ever. 
<laughs> drool was everywhere. Can I tell you that? Like, I didn't care. But it felt so good. And I felt so refreshed because I was literally able to go through my cycles of sleep. I was like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing. I felt like a totally different person. I know the value of what quality sleep looks like and feels like. When I am in therapy session and I'm dealing with my clients when they come in and they are expressing to me, you know, I had a nightmare because yes, I do deal with some individuals that have PTSD and, you know, I had a nightmare or I just couldn't get any sleep because my mind was racing. It wouldn't shut down. And some of the things that they say to me is, well, can you give me some medication for that? Because I just need medication to just help me with that. And I was like, no, no. First of all, let's address the issue, the underlying problem first. And then if we need to do medication to help, it's going to be temporary. And then we're going to continue to work on the underlying issues and the underlying problems that is impacting your sleep. Because medication is just a band-aid for it. Yes. I cannot tell you how much I, when you said that to me, when we just briefly spoke, uh, you know, before, uh, you know, doing this podcast, I was so impressed that that's how you operate. And it's very rare, you know, it's happening. It's thankfully therapists are really understanding that more and more as, you know, as, as we learn more, but it's so wonderful that you practice that way. It's so rare, so valuable. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, have a therapist myself when I was going through my divorce, uh, that really helped me to, you know, cause I, you get so desperate, you get so desperate when you're, when you're sleep deprived and you're, and stressors of life are coming down on you. You just want relief. And so I get it. You know, I remember there was a point in the office. I was like, dude, just prescribe me something. I just, just something to knock me out, man. Like, I just need to like escape. I just need to escape and I just want to sleep for like three days, you know, and it was just, it got bad, you know, and he's like, Jenny, you just got to practice what you preach. He's like, I'm not going to prescribe anything. I want you to go. I want you to practice this amazing sleep hygiene. I've, you know, I've, I've learned about your work. I've been, you know, I really get what you do. And he says, that is the secret. Once you get to that, once you tap back into that, you're going to find that you're able actually to recover better from all these things that you're seeing me for. And paying me for it. Like we have to get at the root of the issue, not just slap band-aids on things with popping a pill. You know, I've also learned uh, through working with the, you know, brilliant Dr. Barzagar, he's a collaborative provider at the Breathe Institute in Los Angeles with me, who is a medication management specialist. We connected over this conversation years ago. And, you know, he specializes a lot in these sleep medications. And and he's like, you know, there really is no substitute for good sleep hygiene. And in fact, these pills, they may initially take the edge off, you know, whether it's a melatonin supplement or it's something more powerful and pharmaceutical than that. Um, but ultimately, in the long term, if it's being taken too long, it can start developing negative sleep associations, um, addictions, dependencies, and poor associations that actually make sleep worse and increase your tolerance to them. And then you got to go on to this next heavier medication. And then it really starts to take its toll with its side effects on everything else, you know, physically and emotionally as well. Um, I learned so much from him. It was really powerful to get that kind of validation from somebody who, you know, works in depth on this level with, with the sleep medications and such. And for him to say that, um, you know, I was like, man, you got to be careful. Those pharmaceutical companies going to put a hit out on I know, you. right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's 
gangster, man. Like I've never heard that before from, you know, somebody, you know, from a pharmacist. He's like, it's true, man. And it's been very helpful to hear his education, his coursework that he provides uh, for other doctors and and allied professionals and on, you know, this very topic. Um, we've collaborated together a few times in that, in that area. Um, but certainly I, I so respect the therapists out there who really get that it's really important to do the hard work, that temporary struggle is okay. And we can't avoid it. And if we do, it's going to come up and present itself in some other area of our lives. It's going to come out one way or another. And oftentimes it is with sleep. Uh, so we've got to really get to the root of the issue. And you're not afraid to go there, which I love. Oh, yeah. If you come and sit on my couch, we are going there. So I want you to dump and I'm going to dig respectfully, you know, and I'm going to try to get to the root of the problem because it's hard meeting a complete stranger, trusting that complete stranger with your deep, darkest secrets and gaining the confidence to say, hey, I'm not okay. I need the help. I, I want to be able to break that stigma because, you know, for the longest, medication was associated with mental health. Yes, you know, we do prescribe medication when and if it's needed. I do not like throwing medication at the first line of a problem. So I want to be able to dig through it and, and work it out as best and as, as slow as we can. You know, I'm not trying to rush anything, but let's dig deep in there. And, and get to the root of it. And then, like I said later on, you know, if we still need medication to help, again, let's try that. But remember, this is temporary. My goal is for you to leave here not taking anything and being able to fully function at your highest capacity, not being able to depend on this trazodone or this melatonin or this Ambien or whatever the doctor will prescribe. Let's try to, you know, work through that and manage on our own because I want you to live an amazing life without having to be dependent on something. Yes, yes. Freedom is everything. I mean, from, you know, we don't want to be dependent upon things in order to, I mean, that's, that's stressful enough. I mean, whenever we're, wherever we can get some of that freedom and we can manage our feelings, we can manage hard stuff, we can do it. And uh, the more confident we are to do the next hard thing. So that's ultimately setting them up for success, not only to heal from their current um, challenge that they're seeing you for, um, but to handle the next hard thing that comes their way and to know how to do it in the healthiest way possible. I'm such a fan of you and your work. I love this. I, I can't get enough of it. It's so nice to hear. Thank you. Yes, everybody to hear this. This is this is the truth. You know, we live in an instant gratification society where we're used to, you know, Googling something or, you know, writing a check or whatever and pushing a button and our problem is solved. We have, you know, and we, we're not used to having to work at something, um, you know, and, and let things get worse before they can get better. It's the nature of all change, even good change. Um, you know, it, it, you, there's that temporary struggle process where you got to dig in deep, like you said, and to have somebody supportive like that saying, Hey, I'm going to get in the trenches with you, which is what ultimately what you do. You're like, yep, it's going to suck at first, but I'm, I'm, I'm right there in the trenches with you. I'm in the ugly, I'm in the stink with you. And we're not going to throw a pill at this because that's only just going to, it's just a band-aid solution and we want real healing here. And, um, and you're going right to it. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I know when individuals come to you and say, you know, hey, this is the issue that I have, you are right there with them as well, you know, guiding them, giving them tips and encouraging them, hey, 
I'm going to write this prescription for you, right? And it's not going to be pharmaceutical. Follow these steps and you implement this sleep hygiene routine during bedtime and just just wait a little bit. Give it some time to truly kick in and then, you know, let's talk. Yes. Ex- oh my gosh. Exactly. I guess it's not too different. The Yeah, the same way. It, and it does. It takes 21 days of perfect consistency to create a, a permanent baseline habit, um, 90 days to create a lifestyle habit. You know, practice makes perfect and it's not going to feel good at first. We're not going to get those instant results, but if we stick with it, whatever is prescribed, whether, you know, uh, it's, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and the things that you do for, for folks, or it's the sleep hygiene protocol, you know, this daily kind of schedule and, and nighttime routines and all of those things. It, it takes time. Time and testing is how we really uh, discern uh, what's really going on um, and, and how to get at the root of it then, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a brand new habit for us. And that's how habits are formed. And, and uh, we can get rid of those old bad habits. Um, yeah, it's and people do get impatient. And I, who can blame them? You know, it's miserable being miserable being sleep deprived, and we just want instant relief. But um, that instant relief can sometimes bite us in the rear end, if we just, uh, we go there instead of doing the hard work. Yeah, exactly. It does take the leg work, and it can be frustrating. But try and try again. You know, if that's that's what we all heard. If you don't succeed, try and try again and getting into that rhythm of this is going to be a new habit for me. Breaking those old habits, they are hard and frustrating, but it can be done. It can be. That's right. So, Jenny, if there are listeners who are struggling with sleep hygiene, they are sleep deprived, they don't even know if they are sleep deprived, what positive advice would you like to share with them? Well, ask yourself how you feel when you get up in the morning. Are you feeling really refreshed? Um, if you're miserable, if you're if you're tired, if you're cranky and irritable, and you know you're just you just don't feel good, and you're struggling, and 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 you continue to feel that way, uh, you know, during the day, then you're sleep deprived. So that might be, you know, awareness is oftentimes the first place to begin, you know, um, but that you're not stuck there. Uh, that's where we need to like get get real with our routines and the habits we have around sleep. My four pillars of sleep hygiene consist of four things. The first thing is to really uh, tighten up your sleep environment. We basically need to recreate what nature gave us to sleep in in the first place. Cool, dark, and quiet. We want to get the temperature down low. Believe it or not, 68 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit is a really great temperature to be sleeping in. And some folks like to sleep in even cooler than that. The cooler the air is in the room, the more melatonin we produce. And um, and if we're overheated, we're going to have a lot of fragmented sleep at night. You know, a lot of middle of the night wakings. Um, I like a nice, big, fluffy down comforter. It keeps me nice and warm, but I like to crack that window open, man. I don't care how cold it is. And I get my best sleep. Another thing that can really tighten up unnecessary fragmentation of sleep, other than the behavioral habits of of waking up, um, is the light exposure. Television screen, uh, smartphone, you know, all those devices. There's a blue light that emanates from the back of these pixels that sends a signal through the retina to the hypothalamus, the pineal gland, and it tricks the brain into thinking it's seeing the same distinctive blue hue that comes up with early morning rising sun at dawn. And when we get up in the morning and our eyes see that, it's a signal that sends to our brain. It says, oh, that's morning light. We need to produce a ton of cortisol up in here in order, you know, which is a wakefulness hormone that's designed to keep us awake and focused and productive throughout the day until it's time for sleep again. But we don't want to trick the brain into thinking that's what it needs to do an hour and a half prior to bedtime. It will absolutely sabotage our melatonin. 
And we need an abundant amount of our own body's natural melatonin production at sleep onset to get that deep, delicious, slow wave sleep crack that I I affectionately term sleep crack. It's so delicious. Like we don't want anything to disrupt that. Um, And that's really the secret of of having whole healthy sleep cycles in combination with making sure that, you know, we don't have any stimulating sounds around us. A good white noise machine can be helpful. Some are more effective than others. We want it to be pure ambient sound. Um, We want it to be low frequency tone, especially if there's any sensory issues potentially going on. A weighted blanket for sensory issues can be helpful too. Um, But uh, certainly associating our sleep environment with where we go to get relaxed and restored and rested and to take our mind off of work. Um, So get the Peloton bike and the computer and the TV screen and all those things out of your bedroom and let that be your sanctuary where you go to give your body and your brain relief and you associate that sanctuary with where you, where that does happen. Uh, the second thing is just noticing when what it feels like, being more fully attuned to your body's cues, telling you it's time for sleep. Your hormones are elevating and putting pressure. Melatonin is escalating and building up pressure on your brain and it lasts about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, And you only get one of those at the end of the night. And then you're going to catch a second wind if you don't obey your body's cues telling you it's time for sleep. So that's where it's important to start kind of logging when you're feeling these relaxed state cues. That's when motions are slower. You're less vocal, disinterested in your surroundings. You might space out a little bit and just kind of, you know, just really chill. And then all of a sudden you, you, you push your body past those cues. You catch that second wind, which is actually a cortisol and adrenaline burst. You're going into fight or flight because you're not obeying your body's cues telling you it's time for sleep. So the brain says, oh, you must need to, you know, hunt longer, you know, or flee for your life or, you know, and so we're going to give you some hormones to help you do that. Stay awake and, you know, hyper-focused on, you know, everything going on around you. And, and that's where, you know, we can, we can stay up so late after that we can crash due to exhaustion but we'll still crash without enough melatonin at sleep onset. That's what causes delayed sleep onset, fragmented sleep at night, and the inability to get that deep, slow wave sleep that we need. Uh, So we have to be mindful of that. Log that for about a week when you feel those relaxed state cues. And then you'll know your sweet spot for bedtime. And it might fluctuate as you get more well-rested and change a little bit, um, you know, moving forward. But initially, it might actually be earlier than you would ever imagine. And that's why we're not even paying attention to it. We get FOMO and we continue, you know, binge-watching Netflix and push past it. So that's where you need to come in with pillar number three and anticipate these cues in advance. Because when they happen, you've got such a brief window to act. You really need to be already in your optimum sleep environment and ready for those hormones to come over you and just really do the work. Your brain and body want to do the sleeping and you're in a place where you can do it. We usher in the third and the fourth pillar of sleep hygiene. The third pillar is the pre-sleep routines. The fourth pillar is the timing of sleep. Pre-sleep routines are what we do to prepare our body and mind, sometimes making that to-do list and our worry list, uh, getting our work done, shutting off our screen devices, maybe doing something relaxing that helps, you know, kind of bring your body down into a nice, you know, more relaxed state. It doesn't need to be any longer than about 20, 30 minutes, maybe a hot shower. So when we come out of that you know, warm, hot bath or hot shower, our core body temperatures drop and they drop quickly, which results in a big spike of melatonin. And, you know, and if we are maybe lighting a candle and turning off the, you know, the LED lights and such that are also playing a role in, in, Uh, sabotaging our melatonin production. 
And we just, you know, uh, for me, I like to knit. That's my jam. I like to listen to some music, knit, maybe listen to a podcast, you know, like yours will be on my list now, um, you know, but get rid of those screen devices and and just kind of wind down, give yourself permission to just do something for yourself. You know, if, if you're, you and your partner are trying to practice good sleep hygiene together, that's a good time to reconnect and get a little, you know, bound check a wow wow in there and, you know, let it do its job. And then, you know, deuces, you're going to bed. Uh, The fourth pillar is that timing of sleep. Far more important to regard than obsessing over how many hours of sleep we're getting. But if the timing of sleep is, is right, the hours that you need will naturally be there and beautifully, restoratively. And, you know, it's helpful to look at jet lag syndrome or shift worker syndrome uh, to understand how this works. If you know a physician or a firefighter or a FedEx worker, somebody who's awake and working doing their night shift when they should be sleeping, uh, they may come home after that night shift and get all eight hours of sleep in during the day, but they still wake up a hot mess. Mm -hmm. They feel really groggy, non-restored. They need, you know, 12 pots of coffee and a nap just to make it through the day. And, and, uh, you know, the vicious cycle starts all over again because they're overtired really early in the night and they're not willing to go to bed that early, you know? So then they just push their bodies again and, and the whole thing keeps going. And that is the definition of insomnia. You know, that's where it all begins and poor sleep begets more poor sleep. So it's really important to understand that we need to sync our sleep with our natural biological rhythms. We need to know, um, you know, pay attention to our body's hormonal cues, telling us it's time for sleep and obey those um, and get in the practice of that. It's interesting when I get an insomniac, you know, uh, an adult or a child, they're so sleep deprived. Oftentimes we're seeing those cues or they're noticing that those are happening really early, um, shockingly early. Like, you know, I had one, a case recently where, you know, she was, she was noticing that she was really hitting that wall. That was those relaxed state cues at about eight o'clock at night, which is really early. She's like, man, I'm afraid to go to sleep and obey those cues at that point. Cause I'm going to be up at four o'clock in the morning then, you know, I'm, I don't want to do that to myself. And, you know, and so, you know, we, we don't trust it, but it's only temporary. Follow those cues. Your body is telling you what it needs because sleep is about the brain and hormones has nothing to do with how much food you've eaten or whatever else is going. Just obey your body's cues the first couple of nights. And you're going to notice that you bank hours in your sleep debt very quickly. And then you'll notice that your cues, those relaxed state cues are happening later in the evening. And, you know, now that you're banking hours in your sleep debt, you're becoming more well-rested and you've also woken up feeling refreshed, you know, and somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. in the morning is a great time to wake up. That's really, you know, when the sun is rising, your body's going to start heating up and and uh, you won't be producing uh, melatonin anymore and you want to go ahead and get your day started. Don't don't sleep in past 7 a.m. That can actually, you know, go backwards on you and make it make it harder to get that blue light exposure to your, your eye gates uh, in the morning to get enough cortisol for the energy you need to stay productive and focused throughout the day. So get up, don't sleep in past 7. Uh, anywhere between 6 and 7 is great. And then you're off and running. Then, you, then you've, you know, had a couple nights where you're like, Hey, wait a minute. That hard thing that I always struggled with that sleep. I did that pretty good. The last couple of nights Uh, I could do that again, you know, and okay. You know, and it's giving you some momentum, some encouragement to continue on and just start, you know, really becoming more attuned to what your body's telling you and don't be afraid to obey it. Some days you may need an earlier bedtime. Some days you may feel great until 10 o'clock. 1030. And that would be a good bedtime, Uh, you know, but as long as we're paying attention and it's easier to do that when you are faithful to shut off your screen devices earlier and not sabotaging melatonin production, then you can, then you can really be attuned to your body. Absolutely. Listeners, you have heard it directly from Jenny's mouth. She is the sleep expert, guys. She's been doing this for years, 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 years. 
and she laid it out perfectly for you. So don't be afraid. Follow her advice. If someone wants to reach you, how can they reach you? Uh, If they go on my website, JennyJune.com, and Jenny is spelled with an I, and June is in the month, so JennyJune.com, you can schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me where we can just kind of talk about your child's or your personal sleep issues and and just see what's presenting there. See if it's within my scope of practice to help you because uh, I do only work in behavioral and sleep hygiene areas of sleep. Uh, Structural or functional issues are going to require a different specialist, and that's where I would uh, refer you to uh, you're back to your physician or uh, somebody at the Breathe Institute. That's where they they excel there. Um, and, uh, you know, we can just talk about what next steps and what might be the best uh, approach for you. And uh, I, you can learn a little bit about me as well and ask whatever questions you have of me. Feel free to email me directly, Jenny at JennyJune.com. Thank you so much, Jenny, for being a part of Elevated Voices podcast. It was such an honor and a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, Daishika. You are amazing. And it's it's been an honor to be here with you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.